Well, good evening. For those of you that uh, do not know, and that's quite a few of them, my name is Brad Smizer, and Bridget is my daughter down here. Pastor Vant asked me to uh, share a few thoughts and uh, applicable to you, Eric. And so uh, we'd like to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you would turn your Bibles, I'm going to be reading the first seven verses. And I'll be using the New King James Version, so follow along as I read. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, apt to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I would imagine that most all of you are very familiar with this section of scripture, particularly you, Eric, as you have prepared and anticipated this moment in time. There are numerous requirements laid out in these verses pertaining to the qualifications of a bishop or for those more commonly known as pastors and elders in a local church body. And yet each qualification is equally important as you consider a pastor's role in shepherding the sheep. Therefore, Eric, not only leading up to tonight, but in the days ahead, I would encourage you to keep these in the forefront of your mind as you've stepped into this new opportunity. What are the qualifications that the Apostle Paul has spelled out to Timothy? If I had to group these, I would categorize them into three specific areas. First, the general qualifications. A pastor must first be a man, which you fit that, so you're in good shape. So, However, this man must be blameless or above reproach. This is a major qualification in my eyes that you must always strive for, to keep your reputation and testimony impeccable both inside and outside the church so that you will not fall into disgrace or the enemy's trap. As the scriptures say, abstain from all appearances of evil. Secondly, the family qualifications. A pastor must be the husband of one wife, whereby faithfulness in your marriage, in your marriage to Bridget, must be essential. Secondly, you must manage your own household well, and your children should willingly respect and be in submission to you. Now, as your father-in-law for almost 18 years, I have personally observed over that time frame your testimony in these areas, and can certainly attest to this congregation that you're doing a wonderful job, both as a husband and to my precious daughter and a father to your children and my grandchildren. And it's evident that Bridget and Cadence and Hudson and Jaron and Clayton love you and respect you very much. 
my admonition to you is don't ever lose sight of the balance you must strive for in keeping your wife and children a priority. For so many pastors have failed in that area and lost their families through being consumed by the church. The third and last category is the character qualifications. As a pastor, there are listed certain positive qualifications and certain negative qualifications, all having to do with character. My prayer is that your life would only demonstrate the positive, to be temperate and self-controlled, to be respectable and of good behavior, to be hospitable, and you and Bridget are certainly doing a good job in that area, to be prepared and willing to teach, and then lastly, to be gentle and patient. And in contrast, that you would strive to abstain from the negative aspects listed here, to not be given to drunkenness, to not be a violent or a striker, to not be quarrelsome or contentious, to not be a lover of money or covetous, to not be conceited or prideful. No doubt these qualifications seem overwhelming to maintain, and yet that is why the opening sentence of this chapter reads the way it does. Whoever desires the position of a bishop desires a good work. The good work that you are embarking on is the good work of shepherding, in leading and guiding the sheep, in watching and protecting the body from pending danger, and in love being able to rebuke and exhort the saints when needed. Is the task easy? Not at all. Will there be heartache along the way? Absolutely. Yet there is no greater privilege than to be a pastor and point people to Christ. My exhortation is to hold tightly to the word of God. As Pastor Fant said this morning, we are certainly in declining times, and the only means to keep yourself and your flock on the straight and narrow road is to cling to the truth, the truth of God's word. Learn the word, love the word, live the word. For it's only then that the sheep will be well-fed and well-led. Barbara and I have prayed for this ordination for years, and so we're thankful that it's happening. So God bless you, Gary. I'm Bob Sheevy. I'm uh, Pastor... Uh, Hanover Baptist Church up in Michigan. Everybody I speak to down here says, that's too cold up there. <laughs> well, I have some comforting words. This is in southern Michigan, so it's, it's a little warmer there. Yeah, Believe me, it can make a difference. In uh, winter times, uh, I think at least uh, 20 degrees <clears throat> difference. It's up in northern Wisconsin where I was born and raised we often saw 40 degree below zero weather. So, <clears throat> I've been asked to read from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
and partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. When I heard Eric was going to be ordained, the first verse that came to my mind was Psalm 8.4, which says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And what is the son of man that thou visitest him? People have been telling me and uh, mentioning to me what a wonderful job I did in raising Eric. I don't know when I did that. <clears throat> it's uh, been a long life. I thought I was normal. I thought we were a normal family. We were just teaching our children the way they should go and uh, following what the Lord was leading us to do. But uh, it's the Lord that really raised him. It's the Lord that chose him to do certain things, that led him through life. And as I look at this verse, I found that there are several others in Scripture that are similar, start in the same vein, yet they use different words, um, such as in Job, for instance. In chapter 7, 17, it says, What is man that thou shouldst magnify him? That's to lift him up, to exalt him. The question is, who are we that God should even look at us? Yet he says he magnifies us and raises certain ones of his flock and will everyone. Every Christian will be raised to glory, won't he? We have that to look forward to. And that thou shouldst set thine heart upon him, said Job. Another verse in Job is fifteen fourteen. It says, what is man that he should be clean? Why would God, with a rebellious bunch of people like we are, pick us out and say, I'm going to raise him, I'm going to clean you up, I'm going to make you something great. It's hard for me to understand that, although I know God loves us, and that's why. He loves us, and so he chose to do that. As a father, I know somewhat of that, a little bit. As I saw Eric growing up, um, contrary to what you people seem to say, he did have some problems. <clears throat> Just for an example, I, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to go long on this, but <clears throat> one uh, he was about. Uh, this is where I really noticed that he was. He had the sin nature. Um, he was about two and a half, uh, three years old. And we had bought a little um, 
swimming pool, plastic one, you know, those little shallow things are about that deep, and uh, put it out in the backyard. It was springtime, and it was still kind of cool outside, but we set it out there where the sun would be able to bake down on it, and um, we told Eric, because he seemed to be very interested in it, you're not to go in the pool. So I, I put it out there. I put about three inches of water in it. You know how that goes. And <clears throat> I went back into the house. And we were waiting for the sun to warm it up a little bit. I looked out the back window, and there was Eric by the pool, playing around in the water with his fingers. Now, he knew he was not to go into that pool. We did not want him swimming. That's what we actually had said. So I went out there and I said, uh, now remember what we said. You are not to go swimming. Oh, he, he's not. He's just playing with the water. Went back in the house. A little later, I looked out. And Eric was walking around in the pool, splashing the water with his feet. And, of course... He wasn't swimming, but uh, he sure wasn't avoiding temptation, was he? <laughs> and uh, so we knew, my wife and I knew, what eventually was probably going to happen because he was just going for that temptation. And um, <clears throat> a little bit later, sure enough, my wife looked out the window and said, he's splashing around in the pool. And so I went out and I said, Eric, didn't we tell you not to go swimming? And he said to me, I slipped. <laughs> yeah. He slipped in more ways than one, but uh, yes, he slipped. So you see, Eric did have that, that old nature and still does. As his parent, we can confirm that. And anyone that wants to know more gruesome facts about Eric's upbringing, my wife is right down here. You can talk to her after the service. Yes. But um, this psalm that I read also shows us how much God does for us. Um, in Psalm 144.3, another one of those psalms or, or verses just like that, it says, what is a man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man thou, that thou makest account of him? And in some of these where it talks about this visiting him and, and raising him up and magnifying him and so on, God is telling us everything in his life that comes out good. I have been involved in. Um, we, have, uh, we have to be humble when we think about anything that we are recognized for doing. And I think also of Christ when he is looking upon us. In fact, as, as parents, you're probably saying, what did you do to bring up this great man of God? Um, like I said, uh, I, we, we took him before the Lord. We were in church every week, of course. I was a pastor. We uh, took him to uh, services uh, 
that we did uh, around the community, visiting people. I was always interested in my children, children being with me in the ministry. I would advise you, because we are all ministers of God. Peter tells us we're priests, every one of us. And to take your children with you, if you've got some of those at home, and find out what God wants you to do. Make sure it's what he wants you to do, and then do that ministry, whether it's coming to clean the church or whether it's going out to tell people about Christ. Whatever it is, take them with you and let them be a part of that ministry. We uh, saw our children grow up in, uh, it was an old, I call it old folks home now, but, or then, but uh, now I'm not so sure they were that old. But we would, we would be there. Once a month we were scheduled to have a service and our family sang and, and I preached, and we talked about it. The children went and visited with them, and so on. And they grew up doing that. In fact, we had two more children when we moved over there to Hanover. Um, and um, we brought the babies when they were born there. The uh, elderly people loved it. They saw our children grow up. Many of them were there for several years. And we knew them just like our own family and um, went to visit them in their rooms when they could not make it to our service. And, and um, I think that that helped our children to see how to serve God. Um, I remember here one more verse that I wanted to mention. That was Jesus. We see, we had talked about how God does it all and he really does he's guiding us and directing us and giving us the power and everything comes from him but what part do we play what part is really ours in Matthew 23 37 I see what Jesus spoke when he looked over Jerusalem and he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And here's the sad part. And ye would not. Our part is to be willing to do what he wants, to go to him. He wanted to draw them in and help them and, and use them and, and give them the power and protect them and all this. He's just waiting to do that. But they wouldn't yield to him. Remember to see my wife after actually the whole reason for the ice cream social and we're going to set you guys up off to the side and you can tell stories 
Uh, if I'll have you turn your Bible one more place, Acts chapter 20. Um, this is a charge for Eric, a charge to the candidate, as we call him in a moment. We will ask for those who are ordained ministers who are in our church to come forward and lay hands on Eric and pray for him. We have three men who will be praying uh, for Eric and committing him to the Lord. And it's been a privilege to pastor you and your family the past several years. Um, And in Acts 20, Paul calls the elders of the Ephesian church to come together, and he delivers a charge to them. And as I was meditating over the past couple weeks on what I was going to say to Eric and to his family, uh, my mind kept going, and it has to be Acts because I've been in Acts for such a long time, and this is what I've been meditating on, and this just came to my mind. And so as I started reading, I thought, this really shows Paul's burden for these people and his burden for these folks. And so if you look at verses 18 through 24, we see what I've called a pastor's identity. He says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. The first thing I see here is a pastor lives among people. Pastor is not hiding away in his study, away from people, but must be in and among the people of God. He says, you know in what manner I always lived among you. He lived there with the people. It's a challenge for anyone in ministry. You must be with people. And Eric, you're good at this. You're good at being with people. But you know, Paul points these pastors to his testimony, his history of living with them and living with people, living among people is so important. Paul was no celebrity pastor who disconnected from the concerns of the people. He was living among them. His life was Christ-like. He said, I was serving the Lord with all humility, serving Christ with all humility, with tears and trials. There were a lot of difficulties they faced, and he lived among the people in these trials. Also, a pastor, you'll see in verse 20, teaches the whole truth. Twice in this passage, Paul assures the Ephesians at every point he had preached to them all the truth. Look at verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I did not keep back anything that was helpful. I delivered it all to you. There's a temptation sometimes for pastors to hold back helpful things for different reasons, maybe fear, maybe doubt, maybe confusion, whatever the, the reason you're afraid of how people might receive something. But he didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He told them what they needed to hear and what God had told them to hear. He proclaimed publicly and personally, house to house and publicly. The minister's life is to live among people in multifaceted ministry. Also, he had a clear conscience. If you skip down to verse 25, he says, indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And as a charge to you, I would charge you to preach with a clear conscience the truth of God's Word, to say we will preach everything that God has to say, 
and we will preach the truth. Go back to verse 22. I think a pastor also not only preaches the truth, he also trusts the sovereignty of God. He says, now see, I, verse 22, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. He does not completely understand what awaits him, and neither do we. We don't know what awaits us in our lives, in our ministries, in our trials. But he knew, unlike us, he had special revelation from God that there were trials and there were chains, and uh, there were these chains that were awaiting him. Tribulations, he says, await him there. And a pastor, as a pastor, you cannot know what God has for you. You cannot know what God has coming around the corner. You must be willing to suffer for his sake and trust the sovereignty of God. And verse 24 tells us a pastor prioritizes the ministry over self. In fact, this is one of my favorite verses dealing with, dealing with pastoral ministry. He said, none of these things move me. None of these things are going to change my course, nor do I count my life dear for myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of the trials coming moved him, persuaded him, or changed his mind because he did not count his own life as dear to himself. A pastor cannot prioritize his own comfort of his life, but rather the spiritual work that God has given. Why? Because of the eternal reward. Finishing your race with joy. Finishing the ministry I've received to testify, to preach the gospel of the grace of God. After explaining this ministry, Paul turns to the elders and he charges them in his absence. And in these words, Eric, I charge you as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 28, he says this, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. How do you take care of yourself? Well, you need to spend time with God. You need to spend personal time with God. Nothing will replace your personal time with the Lord every day. Don't think just because you're a pastor that you have this magical potion, and as we, as we lay hands on you, that you no longer have to sweat and study in the garden of God. You need to get in the Word and toil in God's Word. You need to learn Him and know Him. Nothing can replace that. Your ministry will flow out of a holy and righteous life. If you neglect righteous living, your ministry will be bankrupt, and you will fail to be the man God has called you to be. So pay attention to your family. Pay attention to your personal walk with God. Take care of yourself. Take heed to yourself. And then he says, take care of the church and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. As you care for the church, you care for the sheep. And the Holy Spirit has done the work of making you an overseer. Yes, we acknowledge that. We are putting you in this position. We have, as a church, voted to accept you as a pastor here. We have been along for the ride, but God himself is the one who is responsible for you. He has made you an episkopos, an overseer, a guardian, a supervisor, one who looks out for other people. That's what this means to be a guardian of the flock. So defend or take care of yourself and defend the church. In verses 29 through 31, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you, or from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves, seeking people to follow themselves. Therefore, he says, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul says, look, it's going to be difficult. Everything in pastoral ministry is not always easy. 
Some people actually in the church, in the church, people you love, people you've accepted, people you thought were believers, people you even elevated to ministry or to other leadership opportunities, there will be people who we love and we have pastored who will rise up and speak falsehoods and try to get a following for themselves. We pray to God every day that doesn't happen here. The Bible warns us that these things happen in churches, and if you've been around churches, you've known that that's happened. And so as a pastor, one of your responsibilities is to look out for people who are wolves, who devour other people. Instead, you are to feed the flock. You are to shepherd the flock and keep them from being destroyed. These men will rise up. They'll speak perverse things. So to protect the church, you'll need to help people in the church discern wrong teaching. To protect the church, you'll need to help the people in the church from following wrong teachers who are working to draw disciples. Therefore, we are to watch and beware and be on guard. Now, the the rest of this chapter, Paul deals with the Ephesian elders, and he talks with them about his relationship to them financially, etc. But I want to focus, lastly, on what I'm calling the pastor's relationships. And I'm not going to read verses here, but I want you to see that in this passage, the Ephesian elders realize they'd never see Paul again, and they gather together and they weep. And I think one of the things that you've proven best about you is the way in which you've given yourself to people. I'm so thankful, and I publicly say this, how you have given yourselves to people. You go and you visit people. You have people in your house. You often visit people when they're sick in bed, and, and that is such a, a gift, uh, your hospitality. It's been great. And, and as they have this relationship, as you have relationships in this church, these people, as they saw Paul leaving them, they gathered and wept. They had established strong relationships in their lives. Their lives had become intertwined, and they'd given themselves to ministry. And, and, and I feel like here he's saying, you know, the, the relationships he had with these people made it hard to say goodbye. And sometimes in ministry, you'll feel like you don't know if you can keep going. You'll be tired and you'll be facing hardship. But don't forget to give yourself to the Lord and to his ministry, to the work of the ministry, and to the people in this ministry. Don't forget the relationships you've built here in the work of the ministry. Back to verse 28 as we conclude. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd shepherd the church of God. He owns it which he purchased with his own blood. At this time, I'm going to have Eric, if you'll come down front, and any of those ordained in the gospel ministry, any of those ordained ministers, if you'll come forward, we're going to pray over Eric, lay hands on him and pray, and then we'll sing a congregational hymn. I'm going to ask Eric if you'll kneel down right here. Wait just a moment here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the gifting and calling you have had in Eric's life. And we know the church leadership that you raise up is a gift to the church. And we thank you for the gift that Eric and Bridget are to harvest. Lord, it's my prayer that you would bless their ministry here. May it bring you much glory. Now, Lord, may you fill Eric with your spirit and your love, and your wisdom. And Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to not only call him my brother and my friend, but now my pastor. We pray these things through the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for Eric Sheevy, for his commitment to you, for his desire to serve you, for his willingness to 
yield himself to your will. And Lord, this is not a new thing. He's been doing this for some time. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that I've been able to have a part in uh, his ministry and be able to, to, to benefit from his ministry. And, uh, but Lord, this is a little different now because he has been set apart for this purpose. It's a lifetime commitment, and I pray, Lord, that you'll give him special grace, that you'll give him wisdom and strength as he deals with the challenges that he faces. And, uh, Lord, I, I pray that the talents and the, 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 um, the wisdom that you have already given him, Lord, that he will continue to use for your honor and glory, and that when his life is finished, there'll be many who will be able to point to his ministry as having an impact in their life and making them what they ought to be with uh, your power and your blessing through it. So please bless his life now and use him. And uh, may the Spirit of God fill him so that others might see Christ in him and might grow as a result of it, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you now as we dedicate this time to you when we are grateful to recognize Eric's gifting and commission him to go forward and to do your work as a minister of the gospel of Jesus. We pray that you would open his mouth. You'd give him wisdom and boldness. You would give him what he needs to know when he needs to know it. And Father, you would equip him and protect him. We pray your protection upon him and his family, that as he leads them, he would have wisdom and as he guides them, he would have understanding, and as he serves in our church, Lord, that he would have a heart sensitive and soft towards those who need to hear the truth, and a tender heart towards those who are hurting, and a fitting word for those who need it. Lord, bless now this ministry that is setting forth now. We thank you so much for calling him into the ministry, for counting us faithful. May we be faithful servants and faithful ministers, being found faithful Lord, I pray that you would give Eric the, the strength he needs, the endurance, and exactly the right, the right people around him to support him and encourage him as he does the work of the ministry. Bless now this ministry, and thank you so much for this evening we've been able to spend reflecting on the office of pastor and rejoicing in this calling. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.